0: the middle of a series on Acts and uh, we're going to over the next like three weeks be digging into this chapter and the point of this chapter really is about a gospel witness what does it look like to be the kinds of people that live on mission be the kinds of people that are bold and courageous ones that understand and declare the message of Jesus with both our lives our actions our words and uh really it tackles a lot of subjects that I think are quite fascinating, whether it's what does it look like to live an observed life where people notice and ask questions? What does it look like to uh, walk and talk the Gospel, constantly sharing it with ourselves as much as sharing it with the world? And uh, this morning, as we often do, we are uh, changing things up a bit. I am going to be doing the second half of the talk, and the first half of the talk is going to be done by your good friend and mine, Jenga. Where is Jenga? There he is. Yeah. For Jenga. So this is uh, actually Jenga's last Sunday with us. You see? You hear that? Oh. So uh, Jenga, for those of you not familiar with him, he is uh, from Kenya. He has spent the entire summer with us. He heads back to Chicago and uh, we'll finish up his final year of grad school and then the sky's the limit. We're still praying and dreaming about what's next. There's talk of maybe planting in Kenya, starting uh, some work over there, some nonprofit, um, all kinds of different ideas uh, as well as continuing for more education. But uh, we have been so excited and so grateful to have him be a part of our community this summer. And, My hope and prayer is that there will be many more Genghis to come. We have always been a community that invites people in to be a part of the community, that tries the best we can to pour in, encourage, invest, and then to launch them out to whatever it is that God has. And uh, that's what the internship program is all about. That's what the apprenticeship program, which he's a part of, is all about. A chance for us to continue to do in others, what God is caring, currently doing in us. And so, um, let me pray for you. And uh, what we want to do is just uh, just extend your hand. We're going to pray over him. This will be kind of like a send off commissioning. And then Jenga's going to bring the heat this morning, right? Let's go. God, we are uh, so, so grateful for what you have been doing and how you've been moving in Jenga. God, we, uh, from the time we randomly met coming off an elevator in Chicago, where we then met up a couple days later to talk until late, late, late in the morning. Where we then committed to this idea of being able to share ministry together and to to invite him into a community that has loved and supported and cared for him and welcomed him in. God, I'm so grateful that he could be a part of what you're doing here in our midst and. God, we're excited about what the future looks like for him and how you want to work and move in his life. God, we want your kingdom to be expanded around the world, and we believe Jenga is a part of that. And you have gifted him in unique ways, and you want to use him. And So I pray that you'd be with him this morning, that the words he has to share with us would be words from you and from your word in Acts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you so much. Um. Let me start by saying that I've grown a lot these past ten weeks. It's been such a good opportunity for me to be here and to see what God is doing in this community, in the small groups, in the city. And thanks so much for the people who've been kind to me, who've extended invitations to visit your small groups who have bought me coffee, who I have bought coffee. Uh, Dan and Sarah who have hosted me. Thank you so much. And I mean, everybody. I don't think I can finish saying thank you. Uh, but to start today, this, this is a topic that I've struggled with, you know, the past 10 weeks, asking myself, how does God want me to leave out what I see very clearly in the book of Acts? And to start, us, I would like us to ask ourselves, what do we think are the implications of this statement? And you can share with your neighbor what you think about this. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi once said, or he's assumed to have said, preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, use words. What do you think are the implications of that statement in sharing of the gospel? Tell your neighbor what you think. (laughs) (laughs) I think all those things that we've said are very true. And this maxim is very, it's very true, but I feel like there is more, there is more. I feel for me, I think, the more I've thought about that, maybe this was written to people that neglected expressing what the gospel had done to them. And so, probably they were focusing on just telling people, telling people, but not focusing on showing people what Christ has done for them. But also, the other thing I I think, maybe it's not true. Maybe, Maybe we can't preach the gospel at all times without saying the gospel. Just imagine, if just Jesus came to the earth, and all that he did was to say, I'm Jesus, I came. You can see that I came. What if Jesus did not talk to us? would there be the gospel? What if nobody told Jenga that Jesus loved him? What if nobody told you that Jesus loves you? What, what if we don't tell the world that Jesus loves them? You know, so this kind of brings, there's the non and the verbal communication. non can be so confusing Like, maybe doing this means something else to somebody else. When I do this in Kenya, people think I'm saying, receive in the name of Jesus, you know. (laughs) They're expecting to receive something. So, at times, our actions might mean something else to the world. But so, therefore, The gospel must be communicated in words. We must tell people about Jesus. It's good to show them. It's good for people to notice what Christ has done in our lives. I found a quote by a guy called Duane, maybe Duane Litfin. Uh, he says, the belief that we can preach the gospel with our action alone represents muddled thinking. However important our actions may be, and they are very important indeed, and whatever else they may be doing, they serve a range of crucial functions. They are not preaching the gospel. The gospel is inherently verbal, and preaching it is inherently, inherently verbal behavior. If the gospel is to be con- communicated at all, it must be put into words. We must put the gospel into words. So, two questions for us Are we neglect- neglecting deeds for words, or are we neglecting words for deeds? Where do you fall today? Are you just saying, it's, it's easy for me. Like, I get freaked out when it comes to telling people about Jesus. Because one, I want to be maybe politically correct. I don't want to make people think that I want to convert them. And so, I freak out. I don't know about you guys. I mean, when it comes, like I remember when I was in college and I worked with crew, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And we would have that moment we have to go door to door. And it would freak me out. Like... I didn't want to do that. For me, I was of the idea that I should just stay uh, and as I go to class with my, my fellow students, I'll be able to be friends with them and share the gospel with them. And that's one way of doing it. And it's good. But also, you know, we should be people who are willing to speak forth the word of God, to proclaim it. so in our reading today, we see Peter and John, they exemplify that for us. They meet a crippled man, and what do they do? They heal him in the name of Jesus. And this causes some, you know, fracas, everybody's wondering what's going on, and, you know, and Peter takes that opportunity, it, you know, to, to express the gospel to the people. He doesn't leave it for them. He's like, see guys, do you always see somebody being healed? Oh, I healed these guys. He doesn't leave room for people to make assumptions. And that's why say, preaching the gospel is very important because we don't want people to make assumptions. And why? Why, why, why do I say that? Later on, we see... Uh, the leaders, you know, the scribes, you know, the Sadducees, uh, the captain. They ask, "By what name do you do these things? Or by what power do you do these things?" People don't always know. They don't know. They don't. They don't know why we always fight for justice. They don't know why we are so merciful. They don't know why we are so gentle. They don't know why we are peacekeepers. They don't know why we're so good in this world. And so, are people noticing what we are doing? Are they asking questions? What are people asking when they see your life? And then there's another side of this, you know, either we keep silent, we are always saying something, even with our silence. Like, I was wondering, I, I don't know. So, words are important, deeds are important, but even when we don't say something, it's said we are saying something. The Bible says that we'll be known by our fruit. What kind of fruit are you producing? Uh, two weeks ago, I was, like, a week ago, I was in Seattle and. Uh, this guy from Norway, he approached me and he's like, "Hey, hey, my African brother!" And I'm like, "Okay, uh, <laughs> yes, I can tell you're kind of from Somalia." And so I spoke to him in Swahili, but he knew very little Swahili, so we couldn't have a conversation. He was drunk and uh, and he had beer in his hand. He's still drinking. And like, well, I want to have a conversation with him, but. Uh, I couldn't understand what he was saying. He was trying to, you know, he would talk about the pirates, and then he would say, I'm not a pirate, and then, uh, <laughs> and then he would say how he sends money to Somalia and the government during, I think, during bush time. I don't know what happened. And I was so confused. And I kind of talked with him for one hour and trying to get to understand him and to see, you know, whether, what I can do. And then finally he asked me for 20 bucks. I wanted to go somewhere. Uh, Should I give him 20 bucks or should I not? You know, I was afraid if I give him, probably he's gonna go buy more and and I didn't have. I mean, I had cash, but I was like, no, I should not give him. Later on, my friend who was with me asked me, "How did you decide that you should not give him money?" That was a hard question for me, (laughs) and I realized probably it's my assumptions. And then when I see this text where Peter, you know, a cripple, asked him for money and they say, I don't have money, but we have a name that we can give you. And I was thinking about it last night. I was like, I missed an opportunity to tell that guy about Jesus Christ. And the funny thing, this guy was so confident to tell me about himself. But I was afraid to tell him about what I believe in. Like I say, I've, this is something, something I'm learning. It's something, I don't know. I don't know whether that was the right time for me to share the gospel with him or not. Or oh, probably he was able to see Jesus in me by my silence. I don't know. Oh, whether or whether not giving him the 20 bucks I missed an opportunity to be hospitable. I don't know. So what does this mean for us? I think we need to be continuously asking ourselves, are people noticing the fruit in our lives? Are people seeing Jesus in our life? What are we communicating to the world But also we need to remember that it's not going to be easy. I'm not calling us to be perfect. Uh, I'm not calling us to be intolerant. I'm not calling us to be arrogant in sharing the gospel. But trying to find a balance, trying to always ask yourself, what am I neglecting to do? Also, when the opportunity comes for us to share in words we need to remember like first peter 3:15 says but in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect we are called to give an answer and to do it with gentleness and with respect Are you always prepared to give an answer for what you believe in? The gospel is so simple. Like, I was asking myself, like, Peter just told these people that Jesus Christ died and he rose again. And if you believe in him, you're going to be changed. And I was asking, because today in our culture, there are so many things. People want to know more than that. But I was wondering, where is the simplicity of the gospel? If in Romans 1.16, we're told that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. The gospel has its own power. As simple as it sounds, it has power to save people. We, our task is just to save. And the Holy Spirit will convict people and bring them to maybe confess their sin or to change their ways of life and, or to come, to come to the knowledge of who Christ is. But also we must remember, I think Peter and John, they remembered the words of Jesus when he told them in Luke 12, verses 11 to 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, the first time I came here, I was so happy to be in a church that talks about the Holy Spirit. A church where people are very eager to be led and to see the Holy Spirit move. And we need to be a people who continuously depend on the Holy Spirit knowing for sure that he will give us the words that we ought to say or the deeds that we need, we need to do. So let's not allow fear, shame, or anxiety to keep us from sharing Jesus with the world. Thank you.
0: We are still in Acts chapter 4. Jenga led us through the first uh, about 10 verses or so. In Acts chapter 4, there's this story. Chapter 3, there's this great healing that happens. Chapter 4, he comes on the scene, and they start to question what's happening. Why did all this stuff happen? And Peter just stands up, becomes the voice of the church, becomes what Jesus envisioned he would be, the rock on which the church is built, and he begins to declare the Gospel message. And they ask Him the question, "How, by whose name did you do this? Or what power did you tap into to accomplish this? And He begins to walk them through the fact that this is all about Jesus. And He gets to these verses in verse 11 and 12. And this is really the center of the Gospel message that He declares. He says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he declares the fact that Jesus died, He was raised, and then he gets to this part of the message which is kind of like the center of what he wants to declare. And he says, very clear and simple, that if you want salvation, it's Jesus that brings it, and there is no other name by which you will be saved. Period. End of sermon, end of story. That's the declarative truth. Now, the question maybe you're asking yourself is, is that really what Peter meant? Did he mean that statement? Did he mean for all of time the only means for a relationship with God is Jesus? I think let's unpack it a little bit and describe it in this way. First of all, Jesus brings salvation. Now, what I think is interesting is Peter doesn't use a term... That means that when you die, if you know Jesus, you'll someday end up in a better place. That's not the term that he uses. Now, I do believe salvation means that you will ultimately have an eternity with Jesus. But the term that he's really going after, the thing that Peter states, and many biblical scholars would say that the idea of salvation equals time in heaven was not even on Peter's radar. That would not have been something he would have understood or grasped at that moment. And so he begins to declare salvation. And what he's speaking to, really, is this. He's speaking to physical healing. He's speaking to rescue from bondage. He's speaking to spiritual healing. Restoring broken relationships. What Peter is declaring is that through Jesus, there is a salvation that brings a restoration of all that is broken. Peter's making a profound statement saying that anything in your life that's broken, anything that needs to be restored, anything that needs to be redeemed, the one to turn to is Jesus. He's in many ways echoing Jesus' very statement he made in Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4 he says this, Jesus is speaking, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, he's echoing in many ways Jesus' very words. That I have come to bring salvation, not just future salvation, which I believe Peter is referring to also, just so we don't misunderstand. But what he is declaring is that you don't have to wait till heaven to experience salvation. That's Peter's message to the people. I think it's central to our message to people. That there is a God who cares not just about where you spend eternity, but more importantly, he also cares about what is happening in your very life at this moment. That there must be an understanding that God is about redeeming the present, bringing salvation to the present that he is interested and concerned with redeeming every child, of bringing people to himself, of taking care of every junior hire that was up here on stage, that he is concerned about every abandoned building in our city, about every broken down lot, about every business that is started up and and is, is growing in our city. He is concerned about redeeming all of it and bringing all of it to himself, because salvation is more than what happens when you end up someplace at the end of life. It is about what happens now. And Peter is speaking into this very idea that salvation is for us and it is for now, and that the only means of full salvation is Jesus. I think that many of us turn to salvation in other means. We try to find it elsewhere. We try to find it in people. We try to find it in relationships. We try to find salvation through money or through our bank account or through our career or the thing that we do or the thing that we do when we're not doing our normal job but our hobby, our recreation, the thing that makes us come alive. All of those things, I think at times we try to find rescue in. We try to find healing from brokenness. We try to find a means of escape. And Jesus is saying, and Peter's saying, listen, it's only found in Jesus. You can search high and far, but you will only find complete salvation in Jesus. The second thing that Peter says is this, that there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So he's saying that there is no Means other than the ultimate name of Jesus for both present and future salvation. And the question becomes, how could Peter say that? How could he be so definitive and make such a bold statement at a time when the church is just beginning? Peter doesn't half the time know which end is up. I mean, look at his life, right? He's like doing great things for God and then the next moment he's denying God. Then he finds himself saying he's going to build the church and nothing will ever stand in the way. And then he finds himself like saying, I'm just going to fish the rest of my life. I'm done with this. Moments where he like stands up and says, you, Jesus, are God. There's no other. And then moments later where he can't even understand in the smallest means the gospel. And yet Peter at this moment, confronted with thousands of people, declares that Jesus is the only means of salvation and there is no other name. And I think the reason Peter could say that is because he was simply echoing again the words of Jesus. And Jesus says this in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But I'm the only way for a relationship with God. But see, Jesus goes on to say that again and again and again because, see, Jesus had this pretty profound understanding that he was the uncreated eternal forever being that nobody could understand in fullness. And he decided to walk among us. And so Jesus, with that profound knowledge and belief, walks into this world with us and has these casual, off-the-cuff conversations. Like, here's a couple examples. In Luke 10, Luke ten he makes this statement. He said, "...I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning." He's just kind of casually talking. He's like, oh yeah, by the way, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know? I mean, that's a, a crazy statement. Or it's one of the most profound statements to say from before you even existed and before humanity was created, there was a moment in time where I, God, saw Satan rebel and then I saw him fall. Later on, he's talking with the disciples and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 23, he gets done declaring all these woes. Like, woe to you, Pharisees and Sadducees, because you do this, 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 this. And then it, at the end of this section, he says this to the Pharisees. He goes, I keep sending you prophets, wise men, and teachers. I keep sending you all these people and you keep ignoring it. I mean, what is he saying from the beginning of time, I am the force behind the universe that has been sending you prophets. This is essentially what he's saying. That I'm, I'm constantly letting you know. See, Jesus is the kind of guy that said that prophets say to you, thus saith the Lord, this, 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 right? But Jesus always says, truly, truly, what? I say to you. Why does he say that? Because he believes with absolute certainty that he is God. And if he is God, then he is the only one through which we can have a restored relationship. N.T. Wright said it this way. I'm going to wrap up with this quote. He said this, How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? That the fire has become flesh. That life itself has walked into our midst. Christianity either means that, or it means nothing. It is the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world, or it is a sham, a total nonsense. Most people unable to cope with saying either of those two things, are condemned to live in the shallow world in between. And I love this statement. Because what he's saying is there's only two things that can be said with any form of integrity. Either you say that what we believe and what we adhere to is a total sham, it's a waste of our time, we should actually just continue to It shouldn't warrant any more of our time or attention. We shouldn't spend another day here. On a Sunday, we shouldn't continue to gather because it is not true. That's one option. The only other logical option is not an in-between. The only other logical option with full integrity is to say that Jesus Christ is God and the only means for a relationship with God and If he is God, it demands that we throw ourselves at his feet and say, I follow you. There's really no other choice. But as N.T. Wright says, we try to find that shallow place in between where we can declare that we believe that Jesus is the only way and at the same time act and live as if he isn't. I want to challenge all of us this morning that part of our gospel witness and what we'll look at over the next couple weeks has to be founded on a gospel message. And the gospel message is that Jesus Christ is Lord in absolute certainty. And if he isn't, then we're just all playing a game. But if he is, then he demands that we be people who follow, that we make disciples, that we pursue this life of reconciliation in fact he's made us to be people who are a part of his reconciliation of the world or his bringing of salvation to the world so my encouragement is for us to live into that to continue to declare the message not just with our words but also with our actions or in the case the jingle was speaking to not just with our actions but also with our words let's pray